0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. If you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and open up to the book of Luke, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24, this morning, if you have a copy of the scriptures. We've been in a series now for six weeks called Portraits. And our goal has been to see Jesus in every one of the stories that we've narrated. So we started out in the book of Genesis, and we talked about Adam and Eve. We moved on to Abraham, and then we went to Moses, and then we uh, went into David and Elijah. And everything has been driving in this series towards this one moment where we discover Jesus, who begins to unfold the scriptures in the Old Testament, and he tells two men that Everything that you have understood and everything that you know and everything and all the time that you spent with me, that time was meant to d- lead you to a point where you have full understanding that everything in the scriptures, everything in the word. By the way, in the time that Jesus would have been walking with these two men, um, the scriptures would have been... Um, the book of Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they would have had the law. And Jesus points these two men to the fact that everything in Scripture points to Jesus. And so this morning I just want to preach an abbreviated message and close out our portrait series focusing on the point and the central character in the narrative of Scripture. Now if you will do this with me, I'm going to pray and then we're just going to jump right into the Scripture. Jesus, this is your word. God, I pray that you would bless your reading this morning. God, you would open our eyes to see you on every page of Scripture this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You know, it's a postmodern thought and it's a postmodern idea. Some of us watch movies and we look at art. Some of us even engage in the arts in our cities It's this postmodern idea that when we engage in the arts, whatever it is that we are watching, whatever it is that we are looking at, the postmodernity has taught us that when we look at it, when we view it, when we watch it, we do so from the perspective that we interpret it to have our own meaning. For the intended meaning to be such that, however I see it, that's the meaning of the piece of art, the work of art, the movie, the, the, the painting, whatever it may be. That, that's a new idea to us, by the way. Um, that's a new idea in culture and society and globally. Because formerly, what the, 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 the foremost thought on art was such that when we look at a piece, when we see a piece, there was one intended meaning by the author. There was one intended meaning by the artist. And everything was interpreted in light of that one meaning. I know that's probably a foreign idea. most of us this morning. We watch movies. We watched Zootopia in this auditorium on Friday night. Several hundred people came and saw it. And I'm confident that we watch a movie like Zootopia or choose your own movie. And it's got a great message in it. And then we began to think in our mind, this is the message I took away. But the reality is the person who wrote the story, those who were on the story team, had an intended meaning and a purpose and direction as to where the story was driving, regardless of how we interpret it. I know that sounds foreign to us this morning. Well, in Luke chapter 24, what we have is Jesus encountering two men who, by the way, had spent a lot of time with him. And they had taken the narrative of scripture and what Jesus had taught them for three years and their perspective, and they had overlaid their perspective and their intended meaning on who Jesus was. And Jesus comes alongside them, and for hours and hours, he walks with them, and he tells them, you thought it was this, but actually, it is this. So I want to preach a message just for a few minutes this morning, and the title is, Who Are You Looking For? Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. This is what it says. Now, that same day, this is the day that Jesus um, rose from the grave this is resurrection day. Now, verse 13, the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles away from Jerusalem. We don't have with certainty where that is today, but scripture tells us it's seven miles. Most commentators will tell us it was between a seven mile and an eight mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Verse 14 says they were talking with each other about everything that had As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself (laughs) came up and walked along with them. Verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing him. There's a message in this verse alone, but we're not going to preach it today. Verse 17, and he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Verse 18 says, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? Who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. He was a prophet. (laughs) Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Verse 20, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They're explaining to Jesus. They're preaching to Jesus their perspective of the narrative of what's just taken place. I want you to understand this morning that we may try to have a perspective and an understanding of the narrative of Scripture and who Jesus is that may not exactly be who he really is and what the narrative is leading towards. I want you to have an open mind towards that this morning. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's a third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. So we know that the time of this writing and when Jesus encounters these two men on the road to Emmaus is probably somewhere around mid-morning. We won't get further along in the text, but they arrive in Emmaus somewhere late in the afternoon and the early evening. Emmaus to Jerusalem was about the same distance as this location where we're at now to Studio City. It's between seven and eight miles. It would probably take us about three hours to walk it if we had the time to do so. But from the narrative, we understand this was probably an all-day journey, okay? And so what happened in that all-day journey? Why did it take so long? In addition, some of our women, verse 21 to verse 22, amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Verse 24, then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Verse 25, and Jesus said to them, (laughs) how foolish are you? He calls them fools. (laughs) How foolish are you and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26, did not the Messiah, listen, he corrects them. They said he was a prophet, awesome in word and deed. And Jesus is now preaching back to them. I'm not actually just a prophet. I am the Messiah you were looking for. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things, verse 26, and then enter his glory, verse 27. And this is the crux of the matter this morning. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus, thank you for the reading of your word. It had already been a pretty extraordinary weekend. Jesus had been crucified on Friday. He was buried on Saturday. He rose from the grave early Sunday morning. We know from the narrative of Scripture that there were uh, several women who went to the tomb early that morning to anoint Jesus' body with oil. And as they arrived at the tomb the narrative unfolds and we find out that there were actually several angels there who proclaimed to them the one you have come to see is no longer here and they run from the tomb back to the place where the disciples were now hiding they went into hiding after their hope the one that they had looked towards had gone to the grave and on Saturday they're in hiding and Sunday they're in hiding the ladies go back to the disciples and they say Jesus is not here and then what happens here is as that they're There are two men. We know one's name is Cleopas. Um, They were likely brothers or possibly a father and a son. It says later in the text that they invited Jesus to their home. And so these were two men likely who had spent significant time around Jesus. They were not one of the inner 12, but they were likely one of the 70 who were closest to Jesus. They had spent time with him for three years hearing Jesus preach the narrative of the kingdom that's about to come. And they had a misunderstanding of who they thought He was. And so when the ladies come back with word from the disciples to the disciples that Jesus is no longer here in their mind, it's confirmed that Jesus was not the one that we were looking for. Who were they looking for? We see as we've unfolded the narrative from Adam to Abraham to Isaac and, um, and David and Elijah and now with Jesus, we see that the promise was made to Abraham way back in Genesis 15, reconfirmed in Genesis 17, and the Jews had thought that, that God was going to send a man who would be a ruling man who would bring peace through their suffering. That's who they were looking for. They were looking for a, a, a president. They were looking for a king, and Jesus goes to the grave. They go in hiding on Saturday. They've got word that the tomb is now empty, but they can't find Jesus. And surely if Jesus was the Messiah, if he was who they thought he would be, and he is no longer in the tomb, then surely he would have shown himself to us. And as of mid-morning, Jesus had not yet appeared. And so now the place where they had put their hope in um, was dead. Uh, My dad died when I was 21 years old. He was the patriarch of our family and on the day that he passed there was a significant loss because he was a man that our family had put a lot of hope in. If you've lost someone who has been dear to your family and carries a significant place you understand the idea of, of loss of hope when there is absence and so these men and women who were disciples of Jesus had placed their hope in Jesus being a ruling king and when he died and the grave is empty, their hope was now gone. And so we find ourselves in the midst of this narrative where Jesus approaches these two men who are headed back home. His hope is lost, these two men are headed back home, and they're dialoguing and exchanging about everything that had just happened. And the scripture says they could not see with their own eyes that this was actually Jesus, which is a fascinating fact. They had spent time with him, but yet they did not understand that this was actually Jesus. There's a great message to be preached there and that God has to open the eyes of our hearts spiritually to see who he really is. But as they're engaging in this narrative and discussing, Jesus questions them and they preach a message about Jesus, which is not really who Jesus was. And then Jesus steps in and he calls them Fools, and he says to them, You've been reading scripture from the wrong end of the telescope, you've totally missed the entire narrative. And this morning, I find that a little bit disturbing to me personally. And I wonder these men who had probably spent as much as three years with Jesus and they had heard him talk and they'd heard him preach. By the way, they were Jews so they knew the whole of the Old Testament. There were over 600 laws. They had kept the laws. They knew that their fathers and their forefathers and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers had been preaching about a coming Messiah and yet they had misunderstood who Jesus was. And it's disturbing to me this morning that there are two disciples who walked closely with Jesus yet they did not fully comprehend who he was. And I wonder to myself I've been walking with Jesus now one year longer than I haven't been walking with Jesus. I've been walking with him for a long time, and it's disturbing to me that I myself might also miss why Jesus came to earth. And so it's fascinating. They're walking with Jesus, and, and Jesus begins to unfold the entire narrative of the Old Testament. He starts in Moses. He moves to the prophets. And we've preached through some of these stories in Scripture. And I'm just fascinated by this. And honestly, I'm, I'm a little jealous that there are two men who are standing by Jesus, and he, and he begins to explain every single story. He begins to explain every single detail, and their minds are open, and they, they've enjoyed it so much, we know, because at the end of the day, when they've reached Emmaus, they said, please, don't go any further. Would you come home with us and share with us more? I was born November 16, 1977. I have a definite beginning in this world Yet Jesus, even though he came 2,000 years ago, he was born in a manger about 2,000 years ago, Jesus does not have a beginning and a definite time when he began. And so this man, Jesus, was in the garden when Adam and Eve refused to uh, obey God's law. Um, Jesus was there when Abraham sacrificed Isaac. Jesus was there when David sent men out to battle. Jesus was there on the mountain when, when the prophet Elijah called down fire. Jesus was there in every narrative and every story in Scripture. In fact, uh, we see it several times. It'll, it, the Old Testament will talk about an angel who was present. Typically, when we see this idea of an angel being present in a narrative and a story, it's referring to a pre incarnate Christ. Jesus took on flesh, he took on a body 2,000 years ago. When he came to earth, he was born in a manger. We know the story. We're going to celebrate it in few months. But what we may not know and what we may not miss from Scripture is that Jesus was there in every story, a pre-incarnate form of Jesus. And yet, in spite of Jesus standing before these men and teaching them for three years, he calls them thick-headed and hard-headed and hard-hearted, and they've missed what Jesus had taught. And I wonder to myself, have I missed what Jesus has been saying about himself? Amazing that they've got an eyewitness account of a man who was in the story of Adam and Eve, the story of David, the story of Elijah, the story of Esther, every story in Scripture. Now he's telling them what it all means. So that brings us to the climax of this series. And the climax of this series has brought us to the point where we have to ask this question as we talked about the grace of jesus in every story and how every story is not just a story of a hero who teaches us faith or courage or, or or some other positive attribute we say that the story and the narrative is actually about jesus we have to ask ourselves this question what is this book what's it about What's what's the narrative uh, trying to unfold and what's it trying to explain? Some of us read the Bible every morning. Some of us um, read the Bible sparingly. However, many of us place um, place these scriptures on a high level and and we preach about them on Sunday morning. So what is this book that we are reading about and teaching about every single Sunday morning? Kind of sounds like a Sunday school answer that your kids are learning this morning. Like, what is the Bible? It sounds so simple. And so elementary, but it's a vital question for us this morning because the two disciples on the road to Emmaus obviously didn't understand it. And those who walk with Jesus that they didn't understand it, then 2,000 years later, it's probably important for us to ask the question to ourselves. So let me give you a couple ways that people understand this Bible. Some people think that the Bible is a book of rules. Some people think that the Bible is a book of rules. It's true in the Old Testament, there's over 600 laws that Jews would uphold and they would keep, and the highest of the religious leaders of the day would claim to have kept most every one of those laws. Some of us read this book as if it is a book of rules, things you should do, things you should not do, um, and it's true that the Bible is, uh, uh, it has rules in it. It's true that there are laws in the Old Testament but if the Bible is essentially a book of rules, there's no wonder There's no wonder to me that people don't read the Bible. If that's all the scripture is about, can, can you, I mean, it just makes sense. If the Bible is just about rules, it's no wonder we don't spend time reading it. Why? Because that's the last thing anybody wants is another rule in life. I don't know what your personality is, but my personality um, doesn't like to conform. And so my personality doesn't like rules. I like to be without rules. I don't like to be constrained. And some of us read the Bible as if it is a book of rules that gives us guidelines and lanes to run in and that we should not step out of. Secondly, some people look at the Bible as a book of heroes. Kind of a display case, if you will. I don't know if you ever got trophies as a kid or your parents um, got you this trophy case. Like like some of us read the Bible like it's a trophy case. Like like we pull it down off the shelf and like, oh, Abraham, what a great man of faith. And then we pull out David off the shelf. Oh, David, the Bible says, there was no king like him. Every king in the book of Kings and 1 Samuel says, every king was compared to David. Oh, David, what a man of great courage. And, 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 then, we, and then we pull out Mary. Oh, Mary. Oh, Mary. What a great woman of devotion. And we read these stories in Scripture like it's a a book of heroes. And by the way, there are inspirational characters in Scripture. We have walked through the story of many of them. But if you actually sit down and read their stories, like like this is part of the reason why we dialogued into this conversation over the last six weeks. If you actually sit down and read the stories of all of these heroes in Scripture, they come off looking a a lot less heroic than we imagine, right? (laughs) Right? right? Like like Adam rebelled against God, directly rebelled against God. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Peter abandoned his best friend. I mean, selfish, disobedient people. Um, I think of Moses. Moses killed the Hebrew in the book of Exodus chapter 1 and 2. We read this story, and I'm thinking to myself, I've not yet killed a person. <laughs> Like, is that really how we're going to read the, like, like, we can read the book and we're like, oh, man, David killed Goliath. Oh, geez, I've got so many Goliaths in my life. I've got so many giants in my world. I've got so many obstacles that are keeping me from my destiny and, 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 the, and the best life possible. And so if David can kill his Goliath then certainly me trying to aspire to be like one of my heroes can also overcome my giants. <laughs> I want to say to you this morning, uh, my heart is grieved over, over, over churches and messages that are preached this morning, not just in our city, but in our world, who position ourselves as the hero of Scripture. The Bible is not just a book of heroes. Some people, thirdly, think that the Bible is a book of answers. Like like it's a book of rules. It's a book of heroes. Oh, it's a book of answers. Like I'm struggling with anxiety. Uh, let me pedal a few verses to you, and it'll show you how to be worry free. Oh, you're struggling with your marriage. Here's a few verses that'll help you help you patch things up between you and your wife, right? Like like oh, you're not doing well financially. Well, here's a few verses that tell you that you just need to claim the promise of God. He's going to pay all your bills, and you're going to win the lottery next week. Like 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 we position ourselves like this is the Bible is a book of answers. The Bible has. lot of answers about life or or maybe like I I just don't I I don't have enough time in my day well come to church and let me teach you how to manage your time from the book of Proverbs the Bible does have a lot of answers but can I say to you this morning um, if you read the Bible you understand that the scripture has as many questions as it does answers when it comes to instructions for life so what is the Bible What is the scripture? And I'm almost done this morning. Well, the Bible is primarily a story. By the way, it's a real story. It's a real narrative of events, a lot of events actually, that actually happen and unfolded. It's not a book of rules that tell us what to do, but instead it's a book recounting what God has already done. The Bible is not a book of human heroes to show us how to live, but it's about a divine hero whom, by the way, is the only reason that it's possible for us to live as well. It's not a book of answers that that just answers the question of the day. It's a book that points us to the Savior, that He Himself is the answer to every question we will possibly have. The Bible is. Is a narrative, it's a story of a lot of events that unfolds, and the primary character of Scripture is Jesus, y'all. The primary narrative and person that is the central point and theme is Jesus Himself. One scholar says that trying to understand Jesus without first understanding the story of Israel, recording for us in the Old Testament is a bit like trying to understand why someone is hitting a ball with a stick without first knowing what baseball is about. I was at the Clemson Georgia Tech game on Thursday night in Atlanta. and. Uh, Oh gosh, I'm taking a chance here because Susan's on the board of directors for Georgia Tech. But look, Georgia Tech is known as like this, you're like, you gotta be brilliant to get in Georgia Tech, right? And so like, there's this joke for those of us who aren't as smart enough to get in Georgia Tech, like, oh, oh man, they're not gonna be at the game tonight because they're gonna be at the library, right? And so and so I'm in the game and, and people around me are, uh, are are narrating how the game of football actually works to people. I'm sitting in the stands and be like, oh, well, this is what happens. When you cross this line, gonna, I'm like, are you serious? People really need to be told what the game of football is about and how it's played. But if you think about it, like if you're a sports fan and you're an American sports fan, you turn on ESPN and you watch the game of cricket, you're like, oh my gosh, how does this thing even work, right? It's the same with Scripture. When we don't have a full understanding of what's going on, then we fully misunderstand who Jesus is. All of Scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament is ultimately pointing us to Jesus and God's plan to save and renew the whole world through him. If it's a book of rules, the Bible's just a book of rules, then, then, then we stand under judgment on the Bible because none of us will ever live up to the book of rules. We're going to be discouraged. We're going to be hopeless. If the Bible is about a book of heroes, then, then, then are these really the people that we want to model our lives after? Jacob was a liar. David was an adulterer. I mean, we can go on and on. Thomas was a doubter. Peter turned on his best friend. And if you say that the Bible is a self-help book full of answers... Can I say to you, have you ever tried to follow the Bible's advice? Like, like give all your money away. Oh, geez, no. Like, pray all the time. Well, that's really difficult, God, because I work in the industry 12 hours a day. Like, like all of these answers and, and this advice that the Bible gives us, never worry, forgive always. Like, like, try to set those as your New Year's Eve resolutions and see how far you get. The Bible is not just a book of answers. It's not just a book of heroes. It's not just a book of rules. God's Word is ultimately meant not to inform us, but to transform us. And that's the point. Because it points to Jesus who came to earth to do just that. Pastor and author Tim Keller says that if we will come to Scripture with an open mind and, and a soft heart, we'll be amazed to see Christ on every page of scripture. If you know, if you know scripture this morning, and I don't take for granted that some of you guys may be in church for the first time, and you may not understand fully what's being diagnosed here, but in every page of scripture, there's a story about a person. And ultimately, we believe that story is not just about David, not just about Elijah, but it's about Jesus. And so this may not make sense to you this morning, but every story, if we open our mind and have a soft heart, we'll be amazed to see Christ on every page. This is what he says. Jesus is the true and better Adam. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden. His garden, a much tougher garden, and whose obedience restored us to God's favor. Jesus is the true and better Abel. Abel, who, though he was innocently slain by his brother, his blood cries out not for condemnation, but for acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all that was comfortable and familiar and to go into the void, not knowing where he was headed, but went nonetheless for the sake of blessing the entire world. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was offered up as a sacrifice by his father, who was not just offered up by his father on the mountain, but was truly sacrificed for us. God said to Abraham, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold me from your son, your only son whom you love. Now we, those of us today who are at the foot of Christ, Tim Keller says, can say to God, now we know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love. Jesus is the true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow, the justice we deserve, so that, like Jacob, only received wounds of grace which wake us and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king comes and forgives those who betrayed and sold him, and uses his power ultimately to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord to mediate a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better Job, who is innocent, truly, but suffers nonetheless. And intercedes for us to save us from stupid friends. That's so funny. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory over the giant enemy of death became his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it himself. Let me pause. If you think when you read the story of David that if I can just pick up 12, five smooth stones, if I can pick up these five principles, I can defeat the enemy in my life, that's not what the story is about. That's about Jesus who defeated the enemy of death on your behalf, and we're standing in the corner cowering because the enemy is pointing his thumb at us. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who for the salvation of his people didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost his ultimately heaven heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life, who didn't just say, if I perish, but when I perish perish. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out of the storm so that we can be brought in who for the sake didn't just spend three days in the belly of a whale, but spent three days in the belly of the grave. Jesus is the true and better prophet. Jesus is the true and better Passover lamb. Jesus is the true and better king. He's the true and better temple. He's the true and better priest. He's the true and better manna from heaven. Jesus is the true and better river of life. That's what the scripture is about. So the scripture narrates for us this morning. And so when you come into a place like this, on a morning like this, when we open up the scriptures, our point is not to massage and give you a, a life that's a little bit easier. We believe that happens through understanding and a proper perspective of the scripture. But we're not just here to teach you how to manage your time better, how, how to how to manage your energy better, how to, how to do things a little bit better. What we are saying is we want to point you to Jesus, and that's the point of scripture. The grace of God brought Jesus to earth. For your every need to transform us not just to inform us that's the record of scripture this morning my pastor friend in Albany who preaches at an African American church by the way I love preaching in African American churches because they talk back to you <laughs> and it's okay thank you you can talk back in Story City Church and I'm totally fine with that I got a little charismatic in me that I love it enough you can talk back and it's going to be good in here He preached a message one night this week. He preached a message one night this week, and he said, When I was growing up, I had a pastor who ended every message with these three questions. (laughs) And and if you know, in an African American church, everything kind of builds up to like this climactic moment, and energy and emotion, and and it's it's like the highlight of the morning. And and he said, My pastor would always end with these three questions Do you know God? And the congregation would stand and say, yes, I know him. And then he would say, have you tried him? (laughs) And the congregation would say, yes, I've tried Jesus. And then he would say, ain't he good? (laughs) Ain't he good? Do you know God this morning? Yes. Have you tried him this morning? Yes. Ain't he good, y'all? Yes. That's the narrative of Scripture this morning. I want you to stand with me. We're going to sing one last song, and we're going to be done. But I don't want to end without without posturing this before you. Before we get into the singing this morning, I want to end before posturing this before you. It's entirely possible for people to go um, from their childhood to their adulthood in church, reading the Bible with a misunderstanding of what it's trying to communicate. We can know the stories of the Bible, but miss the story of the Bible maybe you've missed the story of the bible childhood to adulthood the story of the bible says that jesus came to redeem your life it's the process of making all things new maybe this morning you need new life through jesus who will forgive you of your sins take a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that now pumps and bleeds and, and, and is satisfied with the blood of God who's rushing through you, the Spirit of God that's rushing through you. And maybe you need to be saved this morning. You need to be transformed. There's, there's no three principles, four ways, five things. That's not how we do it here. We do it by saying the way life gets better, the way life changes, the way life transforms is through Jesus alone. And maybe you need Jesus this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you, make you say anything you don't want to say, stand on the stage, do anything you don't want to do. But this morning, if it's your desire to be transformed by the blood of Jesus, can I just ask you to do something with me? You just bow your head, close your eyes. We're literally going to sing in one minute. Bow your head, close your eyes. It doesn't matter to the right, to the left, or the front, to the back. If it's your desire to place your faith and trust in Jesus and to be saved this morning, can you do me a favor? I don't embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand on the stage. I'm not going to make you come forward, but I do want you to acknowledge this morning. If it's your desire to be saved and to know Jesus and to be transformed, can you do me a favor? We you just lift your hand real high where we can see it? Anybody in this auditorium? Praise God. Anybody else this morning? Just lift it real high. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. I want to say to you this morning, if you raised your hand, there's no five ways that we want to instruct you for life to get better. We want to say to you in this moment, you have an honest conversation with God, and it goes something like this, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my life is not perfect. Jesus, I know I have a problem between myself and you. Jesus, this morning, I recognize that you are the solution to my problem. This morning, Jesus, I trust my life to you. Save me. Transform me. I turn from my sin and walk the rest of my days with you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. If that was you this morning, every head bowed, nobody looking around. If that was you this morning, you raised your hand. You have conversation with God in this moment, I believe, with all of my heart, that when you confess your sin to Jesus and desire to be saved, from this moment forward, everything changes. It's a watershed moment, and Jesus changes your life. He transferred you from the domain of darkness to the domain of light. He's taken a dead heart, He's caused it to beat. Praise God for you this morning. Maybe for some of us this morning, we need to confess before God that we've not seen Jesus in every page of Scripture. We've seen ourselves, but ultimately we need to be pointed back to Jesus. Maybe this morning it's meant for you to confess before the Lord a desire for the Spirit of the living God to instruct you as you read the Scripture to see Jesus in every passage. God, this morning as we sing, we commit and commend ourselves to you. Thank you for the reading of the Word of God. Thank you for the worship that we've experienced this morning. May this be one last moment where we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, not anybody around. Not to the front, to the right, to the left, to the back, not the problems that are surrounding us, but to you, Jesus, who came not just to inform us, but to transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.